Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Thanks very much, Asanda. Here we are, all the mothers and sisters here in the Mother City. Thanks very much. Otherwise, talking women. Team today, Hazel Makwizeni, back in the chair, and Des Kipas, and we have you, lovely. Thank you. What we have on the show today, women reviving musical history, recreating indigenous instruments, bringing them back to life. That's come at the upcoming Oisphere, which is happening also here in the Mother City. We'll be hearing from a Time of the Writer panellist who's going to be talking in Durban at the Time of the Writer International Writing Festival about what it means to be writing gender. And uh, we'll be starting off with another writer from her book called the For the Mercy of Water, Corin Tahira Jays, who we heard on the program yesterday, going to be finding out a little bit more about her book. Plus, we'll be having another in our What's Up in Your Part of the World series. We'll be talking to Armol in Mpumalanga, and that's to some careless stamper. So stay with us for all of that, please do. And uh, let's start off with just a little bit of what's news. Well, I have to say that my heart goes out to the families of all those women and children called, killed in the uh, Hex River bus crash, travelling back to Kailicha from that prayer meeting in Mpumalanga, all those wives and mothers, sisters, and so many with their faces damaged beyond recognition. Just awful. One of the family members there at the mortuary to identify both his sister and his wife, and I have to say that no amount of money for coffins, burials, is going to make up for the loss of so many, many women. Let us say our hearts go with them. Strength and support, too, to the 33-year-old woman who arrived at a prestigious hotel in KwaZulu-Natal naked, having been gang-raped in the sugarcane fields just around the resort. It's an area just a few kilometres away, apparently, from Kwa Dukuza, which is said to have the highest number of rape convictions in the country. And as on convictions, Constitutional Court Judge uh, Zach Jakob said uh, reinstating the death penalty, in his view, would not reduce rape. Uh, evidence says that crimes uh, do not go down when there is a, a death penalty. I mean, absolutely, an eye for an eye, whatever. It's not really going to cut it, really. In Pretoria, though, however, High Court Judge Aubrey Ledwaba sentenced a 56-year-old man, a father and a grandfather himself, to life imprisonment for raping a two-year-old girl, saying he felt compelled to remove the man from society forever. Maybe you've got thoughts on all of that. Let us know. Don't forget, you can always get in touch with us on otherwise on SAFM. That's our Facebook page or pop us a mail, otherwise at safm.co.za. On the health front, patient care at the Kailisha Hospital has been given the thumbs down. That's according to the New Age paper. Built as an intervention by the provincial government to deal with health-related issues in the area. It was opened last year, but it's said to be doing more harm than good. It's left patients seething over poor treatment, unavailability of doctors, long waiting times and unhelpful nurses. And I have to say that our producer Hazel has recently been having some experience of the Kailicha Hospital, so she can testify to that. On the green front, the Darling Wind Farm, which was the darling of the green, uh, green energy industry, is not really doing so well. It started in 2008, but only 10% of the energy that it's produced has been purchased. The uh, Darling Wind Farm feeds uh, into the ESCOM electricity grid, which is purchased by the city in accordance with the 20-year agreement, and the city then sells the wind-generated electricity in the form of green energy certificates, TECs, to businesses who are wanting to green up their electricity for a small premium. But uh, it seems that the company's not doing very much, or somebody's not doing very much, to market the availability of these certificates, which seems like such a huge pity. However, the city has sold so few of these certificates that they have nonetheless built up enough green energy to power more than 2,000 households for a year. So it's good news and not such good news. So if you are looking to get some green energy, maybe check out the Darling Wind Farm and see what they're all about. 
And I have to say just lastly on the green front, how nice to hear our brand new Pope Francis calling for us to protect our environment and each other. Uh, not to mention the, the most vulnerable amongst us, and I would second that. So good news from the new Pope so far. Stay with us. You're listening to Otherwise. The Independent Communications Authority of South Africa, ICASA, will celebrate the World Consumer Rights Day national campaigns from the 15th to the 27th of March 2013 in all the provinces of South Africa. The theme for 2013 is Consumer Justice Now. ICASA has collaborated with industry stakeholders, traditional leaders and local municipalities in order to promote a cohesive theme and messages during these campaigns. Importantly, key education and awareness information to the public and consumers will focus on the right to access communication services, benefits of consumer choice, consumer regulations, compliance processes, complaints handling processes, and opportunities available in respect to corporate social responsibilities and investment offered by licensees. This message was brought to you by the Independent Communications Authority of South Africa. If you are the one with hope for tomorrow, with an appetite for change, with passion for your country, join us in our drive to transform our society and nation, the new age, for a new perspective, for a positive outlook, for a united South Africa. The new age, one country, one paper. Get your copy for only 3 Rand 50. Starting off on the show today, kind of where we left off yesterday, in fact, we spoke to writer, journalist Karen Jays, Karen Tahira Jays, about her conversion, her embracing of Islam, and we're going to be hearing the second part of that journey on Thursday the 21st in a special extra-long Human Rights Day, otherwise, starting at 12 noon, just FYI. But Karen Dahira Jays has also written a book, which we did mention yesterday, which in this National Water Week and with World Water Day coming up on Friday, we thought it seemed a little appropriate to hear a little bit more about it. It's called For the Mercy of Water. The novel is essentially a story about an, a young woman, a writer, who um, goes in search of a story and in the process of the story lives some of that story and um, goes through a kind of transformative process where she's exposed to various truths about herself and about the country she lives in. It's set in a nameless um, area but it draws strongly from the South African realities um, and it's set slightly in the future um, in, in terms of the fact that it's a political situation where there is a war over water and the country is ruled essentially by a water company who um, regulates the control and supply of water to villages and to the city. And of course, as is with the case um, where this is happening in, in many countries around the world, the city is favored. So people don't really accurately understand the severity of, of the drought in, in the other regions. But it's not a drought. It's essentially uh, what, what happens is that the young writer um, follows, uh, sees a story in, in the newspaper, and it's a story about an old woman who is found in a valley that everybody thought was abandoned. And this old woman is known simply as Mother. And she's looking after four young girls. And um, she's speaking in a very strange narrative. It's very poetic, but it's also traumatized. And I did a lot of research in trauma, and I find people hide behind stories. So she's using a lot of symbols. 
So the writer is very intrigued in her and what she has to say because some of what she's saying sounds slightly prophetic in terms of where we're going with water. And uh, so she follows her into the valley. Um, in the process, the company has also got there. And the company, unfortunately, gets there just before she does. And there is an atrocity which happens. So the writer stumbles upon a place where there are some NGO workers and a medic and a couple of PR people for the company trying to establish the correct narrative of events. She goes in there and she finds out, she establishes a strong connection with this woman who tells her story in an oral form. Um, And she finds that three of the girls have died and one of them has run away. And what happens is mother then charges the writer with the task of finding this girl, this missing girl. And that essentially is the first section of the book. The rest of the book I'm going to leave up to the sort of mystery because otherwise I'll ruin it. But it's really a story about um, following the path of what is good in life. And she doesn't have a lot of assistance. The company is all pervasive. She forms a kind of alliance with with another journalist. Um, And she ends up going to all sorts of places in herself and in her country in order to find this girl and perhaps bring her home. Mm, goodness me, as you say, let's not give it too much away. What is good is water, an interesting part of the story, although it's not an environmental topic at all, um, a war over water, and it is assumed, probably rightly, that eventually our wars will be over water. Why did you use that as a theme? I was inspired, like you say, by um, a lot of the stories that I've been reading when I was working on the Middle East Times as well as afterwards, that there are countries in the Middle East where water is being used as a weapon of war. Um, in uh, Afghanistan is just one of the examples where, you know, there are a lot of bottled water companies that are uh, mining water, actually, and taking the groundwater out of um, sort of rural areas so that villages, it's very difficult for villages to get water. Um, and then they sell the water back to them. So it's it's really a kind of unholy state of affairs because for me water is a gift and it's something that we should all be entitled to having. Um, And actually in the story it's a strongly sort of feminist story because what has happened as as we know happens most of the time is when the economics and the environment become pressurized, the men leave and often who's left behind are very old women and very young girls. And um, so the, I chose water as well because I was very aware of the current sort of symbolism around water and the earth as a strongly feminist metaphor. The, the female body has often been portrayed as earth and water nourishes the earth. So there are some instances in the novel where mother, for example, is washing the girls um, because what has happened there is, has been committed on their bodies by company guards and she washes the girls and it's a ritual and it's I've tried to make it very beautiful and healing and obviously the mining of water and the mining of the earth is a strong metaphor with what we call I suppose masculine capitalist system and so I was taking a lot of that on and I also felt that it was an urgent issue and something that we need to be talking about. Yes, indeed. Interesting here. That was Karen Dahira Jays. She's the author of a book called For the Mercy of Water. Fascinating story. And uh, actually, she has a fascinating personal story to tell, of which we heard the first part yesterday. But because there was so much more to her story, we're going to be talking to her again on Thursday, Human Rights Day, right here on Otherwise, when we have a little extra time, just so you know we're going to be starting Otherwise at 12 o'clock, and we'll be hearing the second part of Karen's story there, so do join us. And don't forget, if you'd like to share anything with us, you're welcome. 
we're at otherwise at safm.co.za. Like, for instance, if you'd like to know how to get hold of Corin and her email, once again, is corinjays, that's K-A-R-E-N-J-A-Y-E-S, at gmail.com. So that's, uh, that is what's coming up on Thursday. So, you're listening to Otherwise, stay with us. Hi, I'm Valen Kirti. I'm a Shake the World Ambassador, which means that I support the eight millennium development goals set by the United Nations in 2000. Lime green, orange and dark green bees adorn my wrist because I support goal two, achieving primary education. Goal number three, promoting gender equality and empowering women. And goal seven, ensuring environmental sustainability. These are massive tasks which will need the energy of millions. My support is how I shake the world. How do you shake the world? Shake, shake. This is And here on Otherwise, in the interest of finding out what's going on in women's lives right around the country, not just in the big cities, we're searching out some moles in other provinces. So if you'd like to let us know, if you'd like to be our mole for the moment, and you'd like to know, let us know what's up in your part of the country, do get in touch. Pop us a mail, we're at otherwise at safm.co.za or find us on Facebook, it's otherwise on SAFM. Also pick up the phone, 021-430-8172 or 75. Well, today we're calling on the antennae of Sankela Stamper, who is a writer herself, producer, and has very keen powers of observation, I suspect. She's also going to be producing and performing her own piece called It Ain't Nothing But Love at the Casterbridge Arts Centre on March 27th in White River, so we thought we'd have a bit of a double whammy with her. And I uh, got her on the line. Hi, Sam Keller. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Excellent. How's it going up in your part of the world? Oh, well, there's a lot of stuff happening. Women are really doing it for themselves. Just because we're in a back province, some people like to call it now spirit. It doesn't mean that we can't do things for ourselves. Even mm. if, you know, we just have to get up, keep on keeping and do stuff. Okay, so what is, I, I want to hear a little bit more about your, let's start with your production because that's happening. So tell us about that. It ain't nothing but love at the Casterbridge. What's it about? Okay, what's it about love? Actually, it's a reworking of a play that I did in 2008 at the National Arts Festival in Grahamstown. I called it Ben La Femme Fatale. So this year, after five years of being absent from theatre, I decided, why not? Why can't I just get up and do stuff? So I decided to to rework it and concentrate the love issue because, well, I'm feeling the love right now. I'm feeling the love for everything. So it's just about that misconceptions that exist about women and what men have to do with it. And the fact that we all want love, whether we're men or with women. I also talk, which is fun. I think this is the most part that I like about the play, the way black men propose love to a woman, the art of Ukushela, that's what I call it. Uh, you're bringing the love to White River there, and I'm sure it can do with it in big, big chunks. Lovely. So, Sankela, we'll, we'll get back to your piece in just a minute. So you say it is all happening in, you know, in the backwater of Mpumalanga, which is rather a cruel way of looking at it, because I'm sure a lot happens in Mpumalanga. Tell us what happens for you. Well, a lot of stuff. Like young people, there's, we've got comedy shows um, that happen, that are put up by this um, young up-and-coming comedian, Manda. We've got young women who also staged, like last week was a networking event organized by a young woman um, in Bumalanga. She, there was prominent women speaking, encouraging one another, exchanging business cards. And right now, there's young women working on a new magazine called Achieve, Utandeka, Shiba, and Olungi, Lem, Luli. They're young women who 
who are doing it, you know, producing a magazine and getting stuff out there, interviewing young people. So that's the stuff that's happening. Of course, we're doing the plays. We're doing the... Um, you know, a lot of stuff, and we've got yeah. a lot of things on the pipeline which would love to share with the whole of South Africa so they can come over this side and see what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, one doesn't need too much encouragement to come to Mpumalanga because it's sort of touristy, all sorts of wonderful touristy things, but it's nice to know that the arts are alive and well and kicking. But especially nice to hear about that networking. The networking event, did you go along to it? Well, I didn't go, unfortunately. I RSVP'd late, but it's oh. something that I would have loved yeah. to go. To, you know, so in the next one that happens, I'll be sure to come along. Who is organizing uh, it? Um, it was organized by a lady called um, Gokunya Renda. Okay. Yeah, Gogo, yes. She organizes such events. So next time I'll be sure to be on that list. There's also, um, there was, there's a production that's also taking part now in Custer Bridge. It's, um, it's a rework of, um, it's talking about the history of jazz. I'm hmm. um, featuring Miriam Akeba and my very good mentor, Mati Motseyi. She's actually in that production as well. So she's also encouraging Bumalanga people to get up, to come and support the arts. That's what we're doing now because we need to develop an audience, you see. That's what is missing. We do have the talent. We do have things that are happening. But now we need people to come out and actually support the arts physically. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, I do know it. Sometimes, I mean, certainly here in Cape Town, everybody says, you know, you've got to, you've got, you know, you've got to try and persuade people in Cape Town to get along to the theatre before the day that it closes because people are quite really? sort of slow. Yes, so it's not exclusive to Mpumalanga, but good to oh, hear wow. that there's so much going on. I'm particularly interested in hearing about the young women who are putting together the magazine Achieve because it seems like women are achieving up there. What? Yes. Are they are they friends of yours, these girls? Yes, they're friends of mine. They're also artistic souls. Mm. Um, I've actually now, I'm in a hall in Valencia High School where I was just performing for 300 plus school kids and she was part of the audience. Um, so it was fun. So she came along to support and she says to me, Sam, we need, we need to get together a group mm. of young people. We need to start visiting schools again, encouraging young people, you know, we can't sit at home because we're hustling. We don't have funding most of the time. So even with their magazine that they're doing, it's a brainchild of a young man called um, Umanja. Okay. Umanja, um, shop, shop, yes. So one is the editor, these two young girls, one is the editor and one is the journalist. They go around chasing stories, taking three texts at a time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So now we want to start a movement with other friends of ours. One works at the SABC as well, Boba Lukele. We were just talking to say, let's get together as young women. Because what happens in Bumalanga, Nancy, is you find a lot of talent, but everybody is working in their own corner. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I so know what you're saying. And if we don't get yes. together as women, it's never going to happen. Especially never. nice to hear then that the, the, the journalist and the editor getting out there, chasing stories. We hope to hear a little bit more about them. But interesting that you're there in a, in a school hall in Valencia High. What's your message? Oh, okay. Well, because it's young girls, I have to, it's young girls and boys. I'm, I've tailor-made the play for them. It's the same one that I'm going to be, to be performing at Custer Bridge. But I um, spoke to the principal, Mr. D.T. Munsemi. He's fantastic. And I said, look, can we do, can I come and do this play for your school kids? And he didn't hesitate. He sent us letters to the school kids. So what he's saying is the same message, but 
we're saying that love has to start with oneself, especially when it comes to young girls and boys, because we say that we want to empower young women. But what good does it do to only empower young women when at the end of the day they are going to grow up to be empowered young men, young women who are going to go home to unempowered men? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So we need to empower them both the sexes at the same time while they're still young. So that was the message. Love yourself and please try and not be out there too much. Let's do creative stuff rather after school, you know. Did you have a chance, or maybe you still are, maybe we're taking you away from it, did you have a chance to talk to any of the girls? I mean, I'm sure you know only too well that... uh, that in the paper over the weekend there was a, a reference to how many young, how many teenage pregnancies there have been, how many schoolgirls have been pregnant, um, you know, and it seems almost like, you know, in, in the poorer areas where there's less education, the pregnancies are higher. Have you had a chance to talk to any of the girls to find out what's going on in their lives? Yeah, well, I haven't done it much in North State, Nancy, to tell mm. the truth, but I went home in the Eastern Cape recently, it was mm. last year, and the, the Premier's office, they had a program called the Moral Regeneration Summit, mm. where they were involving traditional leaders, and I had a chance then to go back to my small hometown of Teddy and speak to speak to the young girls there, who most of them are HIV positive, and some are pregnant, they're young, they tell you we are bored, we have nothing to do, we don't know any better, what else can we do? We don't have support, you know. It's the same thing, Nancy, everywhere you go. Young kids, they need things to do. They need, I think the biggest thing of all, we speak about it with my friends, girlfriends, day in, day out. Young girls need to have confidence in themselves. They need to be confident before they can love themselves. Yeah. It seems like you are a bit of an, you know, an evangelist for this particular thing. And I'm just thinking of all the art, uh, art events that are going on up in Pumalanga, not least of all your, your piece, It Ain't Nothing But Love. Is it possible yeah. for the kids to get involved in the arts? I mean, obviously, you know, there may not be any money, but just to get themselves together, is that something that you encourage them? Are you encouraging them to come and see your show? Definitely, definitely. I've been to about 10 schools already in Mm. Malanga, and I'm approaching the school principal to say, look, I've got this production. I won't do it alone. Next time I go to a school, I won't be alone. I'll be with any young person in Bumalanga, young and old, Nancy. People from Bumalanga who are listening, whether it's a man, whether it's a woman, they can join me. We're going to go to these schools, weekends, during the day, anybody who can and talk to these kids because they need that. You should have yeah. seen the young school, the young kids now at Valencia. Some were coming up to me. They were saying, thank you. Some were saying, we want to study the arts. How can we do it? Some were, you know, they want that. And we don't do it enough. Yeah. See, it needs us people who know these things. Well, we don't really know everything. You know what I mean? But we need to be visible. Yeah. We need to be supportive. Even if we don't have money, it doesn't take money to catch a taxi to the nearest township, which is Ligazi, and go to a school in Ligazi and say, hello, kids, my name is such and such. I know. I'm a single parent, you know, and this is why I know about single parenthood. 
and so forth and so forth. Yeah, just so that they know that they're not forgotten. And, and to be inspired, yes. I was listening to a girl talking down here, a woman talking to a group of kids from Lavender Hill, and you could just see on their faces that they were so inspired by what she had mm. to say and, and also because she was quite funny and a bit like uh-huh. you <laughs> you know if it wasn't all sort of heavy stuff and you've got to do this and you can't do that do you, yeah. do, is, it, is it your philosophy if you like that one's got to, one's got to introduce a bit of humour as well you have to I mean I was saying to Tandeka um, well you know kids are so intimidating <laughs> they are so intimidating because I mean they look you older than them but also they're thinking oh my goodness what could she possibly have to tell me sometimes I mean you rock up there in, in a taxi and like, she's not even driving your car they've got preconceived notions so you've got to be yourself and definitely humor is very important I mean you have to make them laugh even if you look stupid in a process you have to you have to find a common ground for example you have to be their age let out let out the child in you forget that you you've done this you've been here and this is what you've done and this is what you have achieved at that moment you are them and they are you I think you have a calling as a motivational person Okay, well, can I get paid for that, please? We'll see what we can arrange, though, I have to say. Not many (laughs) promises coming from down here, but look forward to talking to you again. It's really nice to hear your take on life. And let me say once more, it ain't nothing but love. That's coming up on the 27th of March, is that right? Half past six at the Castle Bridge Performing Arts Centre in White River. So be there, Mpumalanga, get there. Samkela, lovely. We'll speak again. Oh, Nancy, can yeah. I please say something yeah. quickly? Yeah. And I'd also like to say hi to Gorse, please. He did make it a point to say that I'm going to say hi to him. He's great. And, yeah, we'll soon. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Take care. Okay. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Samkela Stamper, she's uh, certainly one of a kind and what a special person, Samkela Stamper. And if you can get yourself to the Casterbridge Performing Arts Centre in White River on the 27th of March, you won't be disappointed. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about uh, reviving musical history and also talking about writing gender. Stay with us, but right now it's 1.30. Time for the news headlines with Asanda. Thanks very much, Asanda. Well, happening in Durban, as we speak this very moment, running through until the 23rd, is the Time of the Writer International Writing Festival. We're going to be hearing a little bit about what's coming up there in just a minute. Specifically, actually, we're going to be talking about writing gender. How does one do that? We're going to be talking to Cariso Lecejo Malope. Uh, she's one of the panellists. That's what we're going to talk about in just a minute. But first up, happening this Saturday at the Solms Delta Museum Fundicup is the annual Ausfiers, and that's in uh, Franschhoek, just outside of Franschhoek. And there's a whole lot of events and action that's happening there, and, uh, and I really hope that the sun shines down on them because it's a beautiful place to be on a Saturday. So if you're in the area, do get yourself along there. But of specific interest, for certainly for us here as women, we're going to be hearing, I think, a little bit about the recreation of indigenous, indigenous instruments and music, and they've been painstakingly recreated by a group of women. Well, to tell us more, we have uh, Tracy Rundle, who's an historian, very involved with the Solomon's Delta Museum, on the line. Hi, Tracy. Hi, how are you doing? Are you praying for, for sunshine this always, Sunday? Always, but um, it always is a bit clearer out on our side anyway. Yeah. So even with the rain yesterday morning in Cape Town, we actually were quite fine here. So good. you never know. Good, good. Well, I'm sure it'll be sparkly and wonderful. The Oosphere, just quickly give us the overview. Well, basically, it's just the annual harvest festival that we've hosted on the farm since 2008, 
and it's really just a, uh, a local music celebration of um, the end of harvest. You know, it's really our way of all coming together, not just farm owners, but with farm workers, and to celebrate and with good music, good food, and lots of dancing, we hope. So, yes. Tracy, as an historian, would that have been something that happened way back when in the day? Would they have had an annual harvest festival celebration? Well, we definitely know that in Europe, I mean, that's, it's quite common to have yeah. harvest festivals, but of course it's at a different time of year to us. That's normally in October. Um, in South Africa, we have found some records definitely that the end of harvest was celebrated. We also know that even on farms, there were slave orchestras and musicians who used to play music. And there's, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I think when you've worked really hard day and night for a long period of time, I think it's human nature to want to release yeah. Absolutely. A bit of that stress, you know. Especially and if you're a slave. Well, exactly. So and, there was and, and the chances are of you being really able to do that on a daily basis would be very little. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's a real celebration, I think, we, and we really try to focus on local music. So. Let's talk a little bit about the music. Slave orchestras and musicians. Gosh, that conjures up an image, doesn't it? <laughs> so I think there's a group of women who are part of the Osphere who've been recreating some of the musical instruments from those days what were they? What did they look like? Well, we, we had started a project in uh, 2007, which was really investigating kind of the, the influences in Cape music. And one of the ways we had done that was to really look in the archives um, and, and to see what we, we could even find. And, of course, there's a lot of people talk about the slave influence and um, the kind of eastern origins that we have in Cape music. And that comes out in all sorts of different ways, in Guma music, which is the Guma drum, um, and also, you know, even in clubs, the carnivals that we have, you know, at New Year's festivals. But what was really interesting for us is, was to look at what were the indigenous influences that could possibly be found in Cape music. And we know certainly for our farm that we had koi and sand people living here. So then we start wondering about, well, what type of music would they have played and how do we find out more about this? And we found that there was an indigenous music collection kept at UCT it's uh, the Kirby Collection. It was um, it's about 600 instruments from all over Southern Africa, which were basically collected by uh, Professor Percival Kirby, um, who was stationed at Wits and at UCT later. And they are the most amazing musical collection, I think, that everyone should learn about. Because mm. It really brings to life the music that these Khoi and sand people and obviously other indigenous groups around Africa were playing something that we have stopped talking about for a very long time, stuff that we don't even know about anymore. It's been forgotten. Um, but I think what's been interesting for us in exploring these instruments is that we wanted to have replicas made that we could play and demonstrate for a new exhibition that we're working on. And we wanted to take it a step further in, in having our farm people learn to make and play them as well. So that's really how our ladies on the farm became involved. And... Um, so tell us, what do these instruments look like? You mentioned the huma drum there. But, yes. I mean, I'm thinking of koi and san, and I'm thinking of the, the mouth bow. Yes, definitely the mouth bow. The bow is actually one of the most incredible instruments because it really starts out as, you know, these hunter-gatherers who are in the wild often shooting on their own, a lone hunter trying to catch a, a, a buck or something like that. And for his self-amusement and entertainment, he can play music on his bow that's also catching the food that feeds him. So it's a, I mean, it's, well, how many instruments do you know that catch the food that you eat as well as play music? Can't do much with an AK-47. No, I wouldn't <laughs> want to, I don't think. But so, you know, it's, it's really, and I think what's really interesting about these instruments is that they were all made 
from what is around them at mm. that time. You know, and we 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 going to quite some lengths to try and source these things and the types of things that they're made from. Like what? Um, well, we have they have leg rattles which they use during trance dance that were made from the ears of a springbok. Um, little ears, the skin that was sewn and sewn up and then put with a, a bead or a stone in it. And the percussion of that sound as they're stamping their feet is, 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 I mean, it's incredible, the sound. But they were using every part of the springbok. Of course, we don't have springboks that are just readily available or their ears in supermarkets. So um, it's, it, it has been interesting to go along this process of, of trying to find even something that you think is modern, like a blip guitar, which is made from an oil tin. Mm. You can't, you don't get oil tins anymore. Yeah. They're made from plastic. So yeah. even something that you think is quite recent is actually also difficult to source. Gosh, I, um, yes, I suppose they were the original upcyclers then, weren't they? Yeah, they were well, taking... that's exactly, and uh, we kind of feel we we are recreating these things so that you can hear the sounds and, and talk about how they developed and the people that used them. But ultimately, if we were to really take them further, we should technically make them out of re- our own recycled material. Yeah, yeah. Um, bottle tops. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, it, and really, it would probably be plastic and whatever we could find, because that's exactly what they did. They used what's around them. What, um, I have to ask you, Tracy, what is a bull roarer? Ah, well, now, this is an amazing thing that's actually found all over the world. You can find them. They play them in Australia. They play them in Sweden. And so it's really, it's known to indigenous kind of hunter-gatherer cultures. And it's, it's basically a long stick which has um, a piece of cord attached to it. And then there's this kind of flat piece of wood which is all sanded down. And what you did was that if you swung it in the air and it creates this buzzing sound. And um, it was believed that the sand would use this to attract bees away from the hive so that they could get access mm. to the honey. So once again, it's, it's got this amazing instrument which has this dual purpose. It's got something that feeds you, you know, it's how to get the honey. Um, and this incredible buzzing sound that you hear really does sound like bees. Gosh, um, is there not truly, and as an historian, you would appreciate there's so much to be learned from the past. Just lastly, interesting that they're recreating in whatever way and with whatever materials they can, recreating the actual instruments. But I suppose it's another thing to find somebody to teach you how to play them. Well, lucky enough, the person who um, created the replicas for us has also been on his own 20-year journey in exploring how these things have been made and played. And But a lot of it is, is having to read it in books, so he's also busy trying to teach how to play these instruments. But it's not like... I mean, it, what's really interesting is that you think that these instruments are really simple. They're easy. Anyone can mm. play them. And the truth is that they're actually quite difficult. It's a huge amount of skill that's involved. And, well, I wouldn't um, like to be playing the ear of a springbok. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it, you know, the interesting thing is that I suppose these women could, the women there at the farm, could be producing them for sale. Is it, well, it, that's the idea behind mm. it as well. And, and I was just chatting to them this morning and having a look at what they've been making. And what, what stands out, what they all say to me, is that they're still in complete kind of honor and pride that they've made it themselves with mm. their own hands. I mean, I think we're definitely in a day and age where you feel everything has to come from a shop or a specialist or, you know, it has to be bought. Um, but it's really amazing to go back and think that you can actually make instruments yourself. Um, and to take pride in that, I think, is quite amazing. And many of the, I mean, like I said, this, these are women. These are women on our farm. And when we first started this project and we had this idea and, and many of them are involved in our choir and they all said, yes, but we don't think we have any skills. We're not quite sure if we can do this. Um, 
And I think it's been an amazing journey to realize that they've actually learned all this knowledge now related to these instruments. Well, there you go. How like yeah. a woman to say, no, 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 we can't do it. And of course you can. <laughs> yes. How wonderful. Tracy, thank you very much. It sounds like you're going to have lots of fun yes, there at the so Songs Center. So is, is there a website if anybody would like to check it out? I know it's happening on Saturday between 9 and... Four? Yes, well, yeah. I think it carries on all the way till 9 o'clock at night. Oh, okay. Um, so it's quite an day event, but they could just have a look on our website if they want to find out www.psalms-delta.co.za. Super. Going to okay. give out those details. Lovely. Thanks Enjoy so it. Thank Thanks you. a lot. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Tracy Rundle there, and she's an historian. If you'd like to find out more about those, uh, particularly those ears of the Springbok leg rattles and whatever they've used as a, instead, do check it. It's the Oosphere. It's happening at the Somme's Delta Farm in Franchuk, just outside of Franchuk, between, I think it's actually 10 and 9 in the evening, but certainly it's a day-long event. www.somms-delta.co.za. This is SAFM. And this is Otherwise Talking Women, where we are concentrating, focusing very much on women and gender. So appropriate, we thought, to find out a little bit more about what they're going to be talking about at the time of the Writer Festival, International Writing Festival. One of the panel discussions is going to be called Writing Gender. Well, the panelists are Shafinaz Hassim and also Kahiso Lesejo Molope, and we've got Kahiso on the line. Hi, Kahiso. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, it's really nice to talk to you again. I think we spoke a long time ago about your first book, Dancing in the Dust. Yes. And I think you've written a couple of more novels since then. Yes, I have. Uh, I've written The Mending Season and one called This Book Betrays My Brother. That's the new one. This book betrays my brother. Does it have a gendered theme? Um, Yes, it does. I mean, it it, it addresses uh, the issue of gender-based violence in South Africa. Okay. And it's very, I mean, I'm not sure if it's specifically because of that that you've been chosen to write about writing gender for the festival. Uh, how do you interpret writing gender? Hmm, that's a, a tough question. Um, Aren't you going to be talking about that? Um, yes, I am. I am going to be talking about that. Hmm. Um, well, this one is specific, not just gender, but gender-based violence. Yeah. Um, and I think that there are uh, I mean, I think obviously it's a really big problem within South Africa, and I think now is kind of a prime time to talk about gender-based violence uh, within the country and, you know, in other parts of the world, too, um, considering all the recent events. Um, I think right now people are talking a lot about uh, Riva Siengam's, uh murder and um, the case of the gang rape in India and all the rapes mm. that are happening within South Africa. So, so um, but, but it's as, as, really yeah. relevant right now. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I've no doubt it will continue to be relevant, sadly, for a very long time to come. So where, where is the role of the writer in this? Because to write about gendered issues already sort of sets, sets your writing into a sort of um, didactic in some way. It's already a bit sort of, okay, we're writing about gender. How, how is it possible to do it so that you're not frightening people away? Um, well, it's, uh, I think, you know, you just speak honestly. Um, I try not to be too, um, I try not to say that I have all the information. I try to make my work always a starting point for discussion. Um, and I think that's one way of not scaring people away. It's just kind of 
giving your point of view uh, and presenting characters that are relatable uh, instead of kind of trying to drill down an agenda. Um, and I, I think always presenting characters that are relatable is, is one very good way to go. Tell us about the characters in this book, Betrays My Brother. Describe them? Yes. Okay. Um, well, there's a brother who is very um, adored in his community. He's a very uh, charming, very successful uh, boy. He's very athletic, uh, admired by everyone around him. And then there's a sister who is like the everyday 14-year-old uh, who is interested in her own sexuality, who is now currently interested in a boy, and, and that's not saying that all 14-year-olds are interested in boys, but she is. And then her friend, who is, interest, is, a, is a girl who is interested in girls. So um, those are the three, I would say, main characters in the book. Okay. What's the message then, uh, you know, assuming that, and, and I might be wrongly assuming, that there needs to be a message if you're talking about gender-based violence? What is your message? For this book, for this book, Betrays My, My Brother, I think the message is that we need to look deeper into the problem of, of violence and we need to um, get our, I mean, it, you know, it's, this book is really a lot about thinking about who we're loyal to in, in, when it comes to gender-based violence, who, um, who do we think needs to be supported. And I think in a lot of the high-profile cases that have, um, caught our attention in South Africa that a lot of uh, the question has come up over and over again. Who are we supporting? Who do we think is worth listening to? Who is, do we think is worth uh, being loyal to? And this is the, the it's sort of, sorry, I don't know if there's a message, but this is the question that the book mm. keeps asking over and over again. Do you think it will be helpful to address the gender-based violence that we have in this country if we had more writing about it, more novels about it? I think it would be helpful if only, only if people were reading it. I mean, you could write it and nobody could read it and that would be a problem. I think, yeah, it would be helpful. I mean, I think that a, a lot more needs to be written about it, but also a lot more needs to be um, written not just in books, but for television and for things that, are pe that people are watching every day or listening to every day on the radio or... You know, it, it just, I, I just think it needs to be everywhere, really, not just, uh, not just in books. Do you think also, I mean, it's interesting that I think for the writing gender panel, there's yourself and another woman, do you think that it's sometimes becomes the domain of women to do the writing about gender? It does, and I think that's disappointing, because I think then it says that the problem is a women's problem. And um, I, I think it would be great if, you know, it, it, it was seen as just as much a men's problem as, as a women's problem. I think that uh, what ends up happening is that women get on panels and women take to the streets and protest and women write books about it, but not as, it's not happening as much with men. And then we start thinking of it as a women's problem, and it really isn't. I feel that where it starts is where we start to say um, this is a men's problem because largely men are perpetrators of, of sexual violence. Mm -hmm. And I think the perpetrator should take more the responsibility instead of being the women. Okay, so I'm not sure if you call yourself a feminist, but what, in your view, is the difference between writing gender and feminist writing? Um, 
a difference. I I mean, I think for me, femi- being a feminist means uh, thinking about, writing about, talking about, and practicing uh, a way of being equal, equal being very, in, you know, engaged in, in projects that uh, mean that I'm working towards equality of all people. So I think that this sort of encompasses all areas. And uh, I'm not, I, I wouldn't say that there's a difference, writing gender and writing as a feminist. I think it all goes together. It's your, your discussion, I think, is closing the festival. When is it actually happening? It's happening Saturday night at okay. half past seven at the Sneden Theatre in, uh, in Durban. Okay. Uh, at the UK and uh, Howard, I think, campus. Okay. Yeah. I think between now and then there's a whole lot of uh, stuff happening at the festival, so you get yourself out there and go and listen to it all. I envy you. I'm sure there's going to be lots of interesting stuff to listen to. Kaki, so very best of luck and thanks for sharing. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye. And if you'd like to see her latest novel, incident, it's called This Book Betrays My Brother. And uh, she's going to be taking part in a panel discussion on writing gender together with Shafinaz Hassim. That's taking it's uh, part of the Time of the Writer International Writing Festival. And it's happening at the Elizabeth Snedden Theatre in Durban. So if writing is your interest, make sure that you find out a little bit more about it. Thanks very much for the team here on Otherwise. But uh, next... What is a graffalo? A graffalo? Why didn't you know? His eyes are orange. His tongue is black. He has purple prickles all over his back. So where are you meeting him? Here, by this lake. And his favorite food is scrambled snake. Scrambled snake? It's time I hid. Goodbye, little mouse. And away snake slid. Silly old snake. Doesn't he know? There's no such thing as a graph. Oh. But who is this creature with terrible claws and terrible teeth in his terrible jaws? He has knobbly knees and turned out toes and a poisonous wart at the end of his nose. His eyes are orange. His tongue is black. He has purple prickles all over his back. Oh, help. Oh, no. It's a gruffalo. My favorite food. You'll taste good on a slice of bread. The Gruffalo said. Good, said the mouse. Don't call me good. I'm the scariest creature in this wood. Just walk behind me and soon you'll see. Everyone is afraid of me. All right, said the Gruffalo, bursting with laughter. <laughs> You go ahead, and I'll follow after. They walked and walked till the Gruffalo said, I hear a hiss in the leaves ahead. It's Snake, said the mouse. Why, Snake? Hello. Snake took one look at the Gruffalo. Oh, cramps, he said. Goodbye, little mouse. And off he slid to his log pile house. You see, said the mouse, I told you so. Amazing, said the Gruffalo. They walked some more till the Gruffalo said, I hear a hoot in the trees ahead. <laughs> it's Al, said the mouse. Why, Al, hello. Al took one look at the Gruffalo. Oh, dear. He said, Goodbye, little mouse. And off he flew to his treetop house. You see, said the mouse, I told you so. Astounding, said the Gruffalo. They walked some more till the Gruffalo said, I can hear feet on the path ahead. 
It's Fox, said the mouse. Why, Fox, hello. Fox took one look at the Gruffalo. Oh, help, he said. Goodbye, little mouse. And off he ran to his underground house. Why, Gruffalo, said the mouse. You see, everyone is afraid of me. But now my tummy's beginning to rumble. My favorite food is Gruffalo Crumble. Gruffalo Crumble? The Gruffalo said. And quick as the wind, he turned and fled. <laughs> All was quiet in the deep, dark wood. The mouse found a nut, and the nut was good. <laughs> what a wonderful story. And what a cool mouse. And that's it from us today. We'd like to thank our producer, Kim Winter, and technical producer, Cassie Lowers, for their amazing work. If you want to connect with us, visit our Facebook page, Shop Shop on SAFM. We're going out with a song called Where I Live. It's off my album called Our Beautiful Country. Enjoy and keep it Shop Shop. In a little stone house down by the sea, there's a happy family and a mouse. When the clock struck one, it was time for lunch. Mom called a kiss and poured some punch. Running to the door, sneaked across the floor, headed for the table and climbed up the kitchen chair. And then began to sing, there is no place, no place, there is no place like home. In a great big house in the middle of the city, there lives a chatty old lady and a cat. Shop Shop Children's Program at the same time, same place tomorrow. Talking tomorrow on Otherwise, in our help desk, we'll be talking about reconstructive surgery, all things being equal. Up next this afternoon, talk with Ashraf Garda, but from me, Nancy Richards. Uh, cheers till tomorrow. Right now, 2 o'clock, time for the news with uh, Asanda Matsunyani. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Thanks, Nancy. A tenth member of the SABC board resigns and Shangarai's aides are to appear in court today. That's in the news this hour here on SFM. Good afternoon.